the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the show, and uh, I want to uh, go back to a conversation we had a little bit earlier in the program about uh, impeachment trial 2.0 being you, the Trump voter, is on trial, perhaps even more so than the former president of the United States. And again, the evidentiary support for that contention comes uh, quite nakedly from some of the leading lights of the left on cable news, like Jake Tapper, who had uh, this to say over the weekend about uh, accountability for those who perpetuated what he terms to be the big lie that would be that the election was stolen. What about accountability for the others who helped spread the big election lie that incited the crowd? If there is no accountability and no attempt by the Republican Party to stop these insane lies that have taken root in their party, witness the support this week by the House Republicans for bigot and conspiracy theorist Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman from Georgia. If there's no effort at accountability, this is not going to be the end of MAGA terrorism. This will only be the beginning. MAGA terrorism. Chris Hayes, the Rachel Maddow lookalike at MSNBC, tweeting out the shamelessness of Republicans on Sunday shows is a sight to behold. You got hundreds of thousands of Americans killed and then helped a deadly attack on the Capitol to stop the peaceful transfer of power. And it's all, well, shucks, why are Democrats so divisive? You got hundreds of thousands of Americans killed and then helped a deadly attack on the Capitol. You did, the Trump voter. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined again by David Marcus, who is uh, the New York correspondent for The Federalist, Federalist.com, contributor to The New York Post as well. David, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Anytime. Is that fair that um, the real individuals on trial is anybody who provided uh, material support, even in the form of a vote for President Trump? I do. I, I do think it's fair. This is very clearly political theater. Not only do we already know what the outcome is going to be, but he's not president, so it doesn't matter anyway. There are some ways that you can know that this is theater. When Chuck Schumer and all these people go on the floor of the Senate, I'm not talking about impeaching Trump, it's the only time they ever say Donald John Trump, right? Right, because this moment is so grave. It's, yes. It's, 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 it's imbued with so much importance, and oh my goodness, we almost lost our republic. We were moments away from the collapse of our system of government. I mean, it's absurd. The, the other way you can tell is there's a very concerted effort right now to make January 6th a date in the same sense that 9-11 is. So they don't say the Capitol riots. They say the event, the, you know, the incursion of January 6th. You'll hear that over and over. This is all just meant to try to paint Trump and his voters with this broad brush of, of being insurrectionists and stuff. So you're exactly right. I mean, they want the voters who voted for Trump and who have been, been voting more and more for populists and, and not, you know, neocons and globalists. That they want those people to just shut up and get back in line. I don't think it's going to work. Well, and the Donald John Trump thing, too, it sounds like, you know, like the reporting on a serial killer, you report the middle name. So you mm -hmm. make sure you're not misidentifying somebody you're reporting right. on a criminal. 
that's the way that's received. And just Jake Tapper. I mean, Chris Hayes and MSNBC is one thing. Once upon a time, uh, Jake Tapper, at least when he was at ABC, you know, was somewhat measured. But the riffs he's gone on lately, including the one that I excerpted, I mean, uh, the Wall Street Journal, which called on President the editorial board, which called on President Trump to resign after January 6th riots, opined the assault on the Capitol was a riot and a violent one, but it wasn't an insurrection. It wasn't a coup. There was never any chance that Joe Biden would not become president on January 20th, whatever the fantasies of Mr. Trump and his courtiers. Well, I mean, per Jake Tapper's accountability mantra, I mean, should the Wall Street Journal editorial board be deplatformed? Should its members be arrested? I, I, I don't, what, what is the remedy for people that he describes as effectively domestic terrorists? That's a very big and a very important question, right? And we already know that people, others at CNN are openly opining about the idea that cable providers you know, shouldn't allow Fox News to get into people's homes. They're very serious about this, right? And I think CNN was very clear four years ago when Trump became president that they were not going to cover him the way they would cover any other president. That they, they had this moral responsibility to be absolutely against him. They, they were open about this. Um, and that's why Tapper will, will, will just call Marjorie Taylor Greene a bigot, right? Not say alleged bigot, not say some people think she's a bigot. Just call her a bigot because they're in this whole sort of like speak truth to power thing. But it's also performative, right? All of this is performative. All of this is pomp and circumstance and a show that, again, is meant to get the people who came out for Trump to just shut up, sit down, and let the same Acela Corridor you know, guys in suits who have always run stuff, run stuff. That, that's what this is about, ultimately. I used to think that, um, that when the left uh, said unity, what they really meant was uniformity. I actually think now it's the exact opposite. When they say unity, they really mean divisiveness. They, they need to promote disunity in order to advance their, themselves politically. And I want to get your reaction to that uh, theory uh, when we come back, we'll be right back with David Marcus, the uh, New York correspondent for The Federalist, thefederalist.com, New York Post contributor as well. More right after this. The more you listen, the more you'll know. This is, this is the Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the program. We're pleased to be rejoined by David Marcus, who's the New York correspondent for The Federalist, thefederalist.com, and a contributor to The New York Post. And uh, before the break, David, I, I suggested that you know unity was their uh, new speak for uniformity, You know, demanding everybody fall in line, the uh, compulsory unification of opinion, to borrow from Robert Jackson. Um, now I think it actually is unif- unity means disunity. It means the exact opposite because... This impeachment 2.0 play, they think it benefits them politically, you know, uniting around hatred of Trump. But I also think, you know, in, in combination with the identitarian politics, they, the calls for unity they know will not go heeded by many. There will be pushback. There will be those who disagree. There will be those who continue to prosecute their worldview and, and arguments along the 2020 election and other such issues. And so they, they built that into the price. They may suffer a little politically by doing this performative theater trial, as you were describing. But ultimately, so long as they continue to foment discord along racial and gender lines, they can conquer. 
And so that's really the the play in the impeachment trial is in furtherance of that. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think you have to look no further than the author Abraham Kendi, right, who is the, the sort of big superstar of the anti, uh, anti-racism Anti-racist, movement. Right. He's, he's very clear about something, right? He says there's nobody who isn't racist, right? You, you can't not be racist. And the interesting thing about the notion of being a, a, a racist is that it used to come with basically like sort of social capital capital punishment, right? Like Jimmy DeGree, just like, no, you're you're done, right? If 75 million people are racist, what are you going to do? Are, are you going to fire them all? There's nothing to be done. And this gets back to your original premise, which I think is so spot on. The way in which the media talk, the corporate media talks about Trump voters is kind of unbelievable. I think in the seven years that I've written at The Federalist, I don't think I've ever said anything about Obama voters. It wouldn't occur to me to because there's tens of millions of them. They're all different people. They all have different motivations. But somehow the Trump voter is this thing that we talk about in our society as if it's some monolith. And you know, about, about a year or two into his presidency, I started just traveling across the country. I was, I was in Texas this past weekend talking to people. And voters are transactional, right? Like the people I talked to who voted for Trump, most of them aren't, you know, don't have like posters of them on the wall and, and wear MAGA hats all around. <laughs> Right. right. They're transactional. They say, I like his policies better. My life was better. And so, yeah, it is very, very dangerous when you start to lump millions and millions of people together as, as this problem that has to be, you know, eradicated. Um, that, you know, that's happened in, in the history of the world and it doesn't usually end very well. Uh, do you think that the facts that may come out in uh, the trial proceeding will matter at all. I mean, just and, and just working the logic of so he incited a riot, but yet you have the federal federal prosecutors right now have uh, made uh, conspiracy cases, charged conspiracy. So a premeditated act of violence. Uh, you have Mark Meadows on the Sunday shows, his former chief of staff, saying that uh, Trump gave uh, the green light to secretary of defense to order 10,000 National Guards uh, National Guardsmen and women to the Capitol on January 6th, but the Capitol Police rebuffed that offer. I mean, this sort of runs counter to a guy who was um, leading an insurrection at the Capitol. But, but I just wonder if it if it matters at all. They're just going to come over the top with uh, montages of excerpted words from his speech and 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 videos of idiots inside the Capitol committing acts of violence. And uh, that will be the story that all the cable news uh, channels, with perhaps the exception of Fox, amplify. And so you'll just have half the country understanding one thing and and the other half of the country understanding something else. I I think it depends a lot on what tack the Republican senators uh, who are planning to vote against uh, against conviction take. Right. So there's two ways to go. The safe way for a Republican senator to go is just to say, I don't think this is constitutional. I'm voting against this on the process. And so I don't even have to address the underlying question, right? That's the easy way out. I think the smarter choice would be to prosecute the case. And I'll go a little further than you, not only to prosecute this absurd incitement charge, which will be rebuffed in, in part with all of the things that Democrats said all summer while the, while the while cities were burning. Right. But I go even a step further, and I think a guy like Rand Paul might do this. I'd prosecute the election irregularities case. I, I, I would say, listen, all these laws in all these states got changed on the fly, and you're telling me this is the, the most secure election in American history? That's impossible. It's, it's abject foolishness. 
So I would like to see them prosecute, not to say Trump won the election, right? Because I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that anybody you know, believes that at this point. But my goodness, what's happening to our elections needs to be looked at, and that's another part of this, right? Another part of this is now, if you start raising questions about mail-in voting, what are you? You're a MAGA terrorist, right? <laughs> Uh, th- right. No, no, that, that's right. I mean, you're not allowed to raise questions about uh, uh, anything that happened in 2020. And so, the, you know, I don't know where the line is. So does that mean so when w- this legislation that's filed in both the House and the Senate by Democrats to federalize what happened in 2020 and make that the new way we conduct federal elections? If anybody votes against that, if anybody has any questions about that, uh, then you're also a domestic terrorist. And, and Nicole Wallace over at MB- MSNBC wants to order a drone strike on you. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you know, <laughs> okay. I, I, well, at least I know where I stand. I, I, no, I, I mean, listen, I do lay some of the, the, the blame for this at Trump's feet. I think that he did drag this out way too long. I think I understood why he did. You know, the day that it was called for Biden, I, I remember talking to some, some of my colleagues at the Federal Center. I was like, I said, you know, what he should really do is concede right now and then launch an investigation. Yeah. Right. So, so, so that we're clear that he's not doing this solely in his own interest. He's not doing it to try to, you know, change the results or whatever. Uh, you know, I wish that he would have done that. I, I, I think in retrospect, maybe he does, too. But we can't allow we can't allow all of this, you know aggrandization of what happened uh, at the Capitol to, to, to mean that we don't get to question what progressives want to do with our voting laws ever again. I mean, that's, you know, we, re- we really will lose our government that way. I, I, I got one more question I want you to tackle before you go, and uh, we're up against a break. So let's take a break, and, and just when we come back, I want to talk about um, the secret uh, election, uh, the secret campaign of 2020, the Molly Ball piece from Time that uh, everybody's talking about, and and uh, what your takeaway, uh, top line takeaway from that was. More with David Marcus, New York correspondent for the Federalist.com, New York Post contributor. Right after this. Love stays. Listen to podcast of the show at danproffshow.com. Welcome back to the show. We're pleased to be rejoined by David Marcus, the New York correspondent for The Federalist, Federalist.com, contributor to The New York Post. And David, the uh, Molly Ball piece in Time magazine that everybody is kicking around, and we've been doing it on the show the last couple of days, too. Um, y- your takeaway f- from that as a, in terms of lessons Republicans should learn from the election, lessons about uh, what was going on in terms of changing state laws through administrative agencies or through state courts, as we saw, where you, know, you could argue that the election was lost by Labor Day in some respects, and sort of the same thing here with this sort of shadowy uh, group of individuals that were working to legitimize the outcome well in advance of when anybody ostensibly could have known what it would be. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's, it's the, they're saying the quiet part out loud, right? And, and what's interesting about that is that the reason that they feel free 
to now say, oh, hey, by the way, we were secretly, like, you know, organizing behind the scenes to make sure that, like, Joe Biden got elected. But the reason they feel that they can do that and say that is because they really do see a fundamentally moral component to this, right? Like, they they really believe that Trump, and again, and his voters, um, are, are sort of deeply immoral. And whatever means you need to use to get him out of power uh, were by, by definition sort of justified. So it's shocking on the one hand that they would be so open about this. Uh, but on the other hand, like, you understand why. You know, like I, I saw it's, it's a writer named Amy Siskin was on, on Twitter this morning, and, and I just, you know, I happened to see the tweet, and she said, you know, it's only been three weeks, but I feel like my life has changed so much. And my, 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 initial, my initial thought was, I, I bet the guys that got fired from the Keystone Pipeline feel that way, too. Um, yeah, but not my, funny. My, but, my second yeah. thought was, what's wrong with you? Like, okay, like, I didn't want Joe Biden to be president. Joe Biden's president. But I'm not going to be curled up in the fetal position in, 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 in a state of depression for the next four years. And it just seems like a lot of these people were, and it's frankly weird and bizarre. I guess it speaks to, you know, how empty their lives are. I mean, I, I don't know how else to describe it, how one-dimensional they are as human beings, that everything rises or falls with who's in the White House. Uh, that's some proxy for, I don't know, everything that uh, you believe and everything that informs your day-to-day -day living. That, that That is just, that. I mean, it's psychotic. It really is. I don't know how else to describe it. It also speaks to sort of the where our, our culture is and, and the politics in our culture. But, but I mean, I... You just live and die with what's happening in some faraway land that you have very little impact on. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. David Marcus, a New York correspondent for The Federalist, thefederalist.com, and contributed to the New York Post. David, thanks as always. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks. Take care. This is the Dan Proft Show.